Hey gang, Melissa Hanalt here with the Burnout to All Out podcast. I'm a mom of three corporate burnout that built a secondary six-figure income around my nine-to-five with little kids. This set me free and allowed me to fire my boss and pursue my wildest dreams. It took grit, persistence, and belief. But now, operating multiple six-figure businesses as an online entrepreneur and business coach, I have become a serial entrepreneur with a passion to inspire more burnouts to take the leap and go all out and live out their dreams. Each week, I'll bring you inspiring all-out guests, lifestyle business tips, and tools to empower you to take the leap from burnout employee to all-out entrepreneur, making your passion your paycheck. If this mom of three corporate burnout can go all out, so can you. Here we go. Oh my goodness, guys. So excited for my guest today the esteemed David T.S. Wood. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Melissa. Well, I was so great because I had you on my show last week. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, it's so wonderful that we had that time to really connect because now I feel like we're old friends and we can just like get into it, right? I know, right? Oh my gosh. And David, uh, David still does. I mean, he doesn't even still know the story of how he's completely changed my life. And he wants me to save it for his podcast, but it might unfold in, in this podcast anyway. I, I, um, I'm, I'm willing. really like the number one reason guys that I have David on here today is because he is the master of mindset. And the one thing he has done for me as just a master trainer with our company is really master my mindset and really help me believe in what I was capable of. And, you know, we were doing a little back and forth earlier before we launched the the podcast talking about fear. So I know we're going to get into that. But let me give you a little bit of background around David first, because I have a large following outside of my network marketing company. You are like famous within my company, but there's people who don't know anything about you. So real quick, I did a little digging on you. And I just want to let you guys know that David's not only is he a trainer, he's also an author. He's a he's like just brilliant with the mindset, but he's worked in over 50 countries. So he's been all over the place. He's got multiple million dollar companies. So multiple million dollar companies. We talked a lot about multiple streams of income the other day. So important. And he works on the deep understanding of human conditioning, which again, it may unfold during this, but you, you really like pattern interrupt for me and change the conditioning of my mindset, which took me in a total different trajectory. He's really like master of training the trainers, right? And what I love, and this is where I actually want to start is that at the age of 22, you left your country. 20. 20. Okay. At the age of 20, you left your country to a foreign like country in Northern Africa. I don't want to steal your thunder, but you you didn't come home for 10 years, right? I never um, went home. Actually, I've never gone back. So I've gone back to visit. So from there, 40 years ago, I left for six days and I'm here now. So are you guys picking this up? Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's back the bus up. I'd love for people just to hear a little bit about your story and kind of your journey to the incredible like global speaker that you are today and trainer and master of multiple businesses, multiple million dollar businesses, and just impacting so many people's lives. Like take us back to before that. Well, first of all, let me just congratulate you because if you're listening right now, there's something you want because you're not wasting your time. And obviously working with Melissa, her energy 
where she's going and her vision and why she's doing this. So, you know, your time is the most important thing. So I always say if there's one thing you can learn, just one thing in however long we have, I don't even know how long we're going to be on here. So this is all a surprise to me. So we'll see. But that one thing that could change everything. And that's really what it's about. And what happened for me, the one thing was accidental. And the one thing for me was at the age of 20, I left school at 15. I left home at 15. I was angry. I hated my parents. I I don't even like using that word, but that's what it felt like back then. And I was accidentally, I went on a six day trip with my dart buddies. I I played uh, darts in a pub. Back then I was a window cleaner and a chimney sweep. So that's what, that was my job. And it was window cleaning was really, I, I know it sounds crazy, but somebody asked me the other day, if you lost everything, you know, I, I'm very fortunate. I, I have financial freedom. I have the life I've designed. But if I lost everything, what would I do? You know, and it's interesting. We maybe will answer that in a minute. But window cleaning gave me the first sense of freedom because I was my own boss. I could go and knock on doors. I could build the, the, the business I wanted. There was no one telling me what to do. And I could make the money if I, if I, and as I got into it, I started to make more money working for myself than I'd ever had working for somebody else. So it really sort of triggered something inside of me. And especially the sense of freedom I had of choice I had for the first time. But when I left England, I left on a six day trip with 12 buddies. Everyone I knew back then was getting drunk and high. I, I, every time I met my buddies, they were always rolling up a joint. They were always getting drunk. That's all I knew. That was the world. And what I've learned, and this is why I love the mind so much, is that the world that you're in right now is the only one that, that exists. If you think about a family in Africa, you can think about it. You can't feel it, smell it, taste it. You can't, mm. viscerally, you're not there. So the world that really you're in, and we think of this great big world with 7 billion people, mm. but the street you live on and the road that you drive to work, that's your world. That's the only world that exists. Now we have social media. We can branch out slightly, right? So what happened was when my buddies went back, I had about a thousand dollars, 500 pounds left. And I decided that I would travel until my money ran out. And I remember when that plane took off, it was the scaredest I'd ever been in my life because suddenly I was alone in North Africa in a country called Tunisia. I didn't even know where I was in the world because I left school at 15. So I had no, I didn't know what geography, I didn't know where I was. I just knew that everyone looked different. And there is a Muslim country. I mean, women are in veils. Here I am in a muscle shirt and tiny little shorts. I mean, we're talking about 40 <laughs> years ago. Back then, we used to wear little short shorts, right? And I mean, everyone's hostile. Everyone's angry with me because I'm showing so much skin. And I didn't know that. I just thought everyone was mean and miserable. And of course, I became guarded and protective. And I remember locking myself in a hotel room for seven days. And I spent half of the money I had in that first week. And, I Whoa. Thought, and then I thought, God, I got to go somewhere. I can't just go back with one stamp. And... So I ended up, that ended up 10 and a half years, 42 countries. And now you said 50 countries, but I actually lived, traveled and worked in over a hundred countries. Oh, wow. Um, and my goal is to see every country in the world. But that's kind of what happened. When I arrived in this town, I was a dishwasher earning four, $4 an hour. And now as a multi, multi, multi millionaire who teaches all over the world, you know, it's interesting to sit right here knowing that I started in Canada just about a mile and a half from where I'm sitting right now. So it's crazy, right? That is so crazy. Oh my gosh. So, and I love this. I like, what was going through your mind as what made you decide to stay when your friends went home? That's an interesting, because I was telling the story. I thought, you know, Dave, wrap this up because you don't want to keep, you know, listen to you yakking for that long. But I'd started writing poetry. It was really funny. I'd gone to a course. I met a girl. 
And she was a little bit older than me. And here I am, all my friends are getting drunk and high. And she ran a, I mean, back then, we're talking 40 years ago, she had a vegetarian restaurant, which was so progressive and so new age. And she wore pink uh, dungarees and coveralls. And she was like this vivacious kind of like, and her eyes were this big because she was, you know, she was in a meditation. So she took me to a course in London uh, with a guy called Maraji. And I learned a technique of meditation and it was just so different from getting high. I was getting deep, which was like these two different worlds. And as I started doing that, I started writing poetry. And I remember it was like rudimentary. Remember, I was like, I left school at 15. I wasn't like this big writer. But I remember like some of the poems would be like, you know, to be alone in a crowded room. Is there something wrong with me? How come mm-hmm. the people around me don't see the things I see? It's easy to take another drink and obscure the life we've made and hide behind faded minds. What? I haven't told these in years. I can't even. Wow. Believe, I can't even believe I remember them. So here I am writing about you know this world that I was suddenly like waking up to. So I had this feeling that there was something more. I just didn't know what it. I grew up in real poverty, even by Western standards. We lived in a condemned building. You know, people were getting killed in the building. I mean, my sister used to put perfume on a handkerchief to walk up the stairs because it, 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 the stench of feces wow. and, uh, and urine. It was just, that's the world we grew up in, right? I used to get right. beaten up. I was called a slum kid, you know, and I used to get beaten up every day at this school because I was fool, foolish enough to tell someone where I lived. And I lived in this condemned building. Suddenly I was a slum kid. And I mean, so maybe why I got rich, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe there was a deeper rooted... Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's so true. I I like go back to my first podcast where I actually tell my story and I I do feel and see that people who really have to live through some shit, like you either come out of it with some ridiculous tenacity to go after it, or it's your story, like your excuse for the rest of your life. Right. Uh, Oh, and it becomes your purpose. I mean, so many of you, I I always have people in our profession, as far as speakers and trainers, we're all wounded healers and we're always drawn to the area of wound. Right. So if you were abused kids, I mean, look, what do I, I've raised millions and millions and millions of dollars for abused children, right? Mm-hmm. Well, because I was physically, sexually, mentally abused as a kid. So, so it's so interesting how sometimes our biggest wound becomes our deepest purpose, right? Mm, so. so true. Oh my gosh. So good. Okay. Travel for 10 years all over here, there and everywhere. And you land in Canada as a dishwasher. Well, no, I wasn't a dishwasher right away. I actually, uh, <laughs> my first job, I had a rule. The rule was this. I wasn't allowed to spend money. Imagine, because I was all, I worked illegally all over the world because I didn't have a work permit. I wasn't able to get that. I was a, I survived and thrived. I say thrived because everyone always thinks of a backpacker as this dirty, scruffy little person that's hitchhiking on the side of the road. I mean, sometimes I lived in mansions and sometimes, because I was I was always like, I was designing, I, I, I understood the concept. If I wanted to learn to sail, I should live on a sailboat. If I wanted to learn to ski, I should go live in a ski mountain. And I just, I always worked really hard. I was always, I, I, but I didn't say always. I learned, I had a muscle knowing that when I arrived somewhere, it was up to me to connect. It was up to me to discover. It was up to me to knock on doors. And so the rule I set for myself was when I landed in a country, I wasn't allowed to spend any money until I had a job and somewhere to live. So I would bang on doors. And I tell people that today, if you lost a job, if you spent eight hours tomorrow looking, eight full hours, and you went out and you banged on doors and you just, you, you committed, even in eight hours, you're going to find something. But right. most people don't. They kind of, you know, they look up, they send one resume here. And they don't go to work of finding what they want and discovering what they want. And I did that. So when I arrived in Canada, and, and this is the other thing, because I couldn't spend money 
until I had somewhere to live. I often slept outside and I slept on many, many roofs, many roofs. And people would say, why do you sleep on roofs so much? So my first night in Canada was in Victoria. The reason I had no intention to come to Canada, I was actually down in California. I was hitchhiking and I was picked up in this one car and I had to climb through the back window because the door didn't open. And I had my guitar in my backpack and they were deadheads. They were, they were guys that followed the grateful dead around the world. And they right. sold drugs. So they had bags of drugs in the car and it was like this crazy and they were high and we ended up missing Seattle altogether. So I ended up in Northern Washington <laughs> of all places. And I get out the car, just let me out guys. I mean, I was kind of giggling. Anyway, these guys were like, didn't know where they were going. So I'm sitting on the side of the road. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous area. And I hitchhiking again. And this guy picked me up. And again, most of my hitchhiking experiences were profoundly beautiful. This one sounds weird. This guy picks me up and he's kind of neurotic. And he's talking about his gun in his pocket. And he has one under the seat and one here. And I'm like, I'm kind of done with the US. I was just kind of get this feeling, right? And as I'm driving along, I see a sign for Canada. And it's a Port Angeles ferry. I said, just drop me here. So I just went to Canada completely in the moment of this. And that's what I love about what seems a bad experience. When we respond to it, not react to it, quite often it ends up becoming the most significant experience in my life. If I hadn't have been picked up by that weirdo, I probably, I was on my way to Greenland. I was no intention of coming to Canada. I had no dream of coming here. It was because I had that weird day that I ended up here. And, and so you know, my first night was sleeping on a roof. My first job, I went and banged on doors all day. I got a job and I cleaned rooms at the Admiral Hotel. It's still there. I think Gene and Alan still own it. And I was a, I was a chambermaid. I cleaned. I worked my ass off. And remember, my job, and, and I was illegal. So what I had to do, I'd walk in and say, look, I'll work for free if you can give me somewhere to sleep. And so he let me sleep on his sailboat in the Oak Bay Marina. And those of you that know Canada, the Oak Bay Marina, I slept on a sailboat in there and I had a bike. He lent me a bike. So now I had transportation. <laughs> I had a home and I had a job, but they didn't pay me. And so what I do, I'd work for free, normally for about five days, but I would bust my ass and I would look at the best person doing the job and I would model that and do more. So whatever they were doing at this level, I would go to this level just by modeling. It was the easiest thing. Who's the best employee? All right. Do what they do and do it better. Find those little nuances. And then after five days, I went to Al and I said, Al, sorry, mate, I got to go. He said, what do you mean you got to go? I said, I need to make some money. He said, we'll pay you. I said, well, I'm illegal. He said, I don't care. We'll pay you. I said, okay, well, cash. Okay. And that's how I did it, right? And then in the afternoons, I worked at Barb's Fish and Chips. It was a famous fish and chip shop. And Barb was lovely. She was beautiful, a beautiful businesswoman. And that's kind of how I started in Canada. So, Oh, my gosh. I love it. So it was totally on a whim. And yeah. I love what you said about how you respond, right? Instead of just react, right? You land in Canada. When do you experience your first network marketing? That's a great uh, story. So, so I, I, from the fish and chip shop, I meet a guy. I'll try and do this fast. I know you don't want to hear my whole life story, but I, I, I meet a guy whose fishing boat had sank at the wharf and he had an old 1946 fishing boat. And so every day he'd come for fish and chips and he was kind of different. And him and I became friends. And I said to him, I said, is there any chance I could come and work on a fishing boat? And the West coast of Canada is one of the most gorgeous places on the ocean in the world. And he said, well, you need to get a, a permit. So I ended up going down to the, <laughs> the fisheries department. I took a girl out for dinner one night who was in fisheries and she got me a permit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I got on the boat and I ended up traveling across Canada on a Greyhound bus. And there was lots of lots of great stories that happened in between there. But I ended up in Kelowna. I'd been on the bus for nine hours. 
And I thought, I can't stay on the bus anymore. So I jumped off. I thought I'd catch, I was going to Lake Louise in Canada. So it was another nine hour journey. And I walked into town and I'm standing at a lineup in a restaurant, which is Kelly O'Brien's, where I was a dishwasher. And I'm standing there and this girl walks up to me. She said, are you alone? I said, yeah. She said, do you like to join us? I said, thanks. So I sat with this big group of people. She knew the manager. She knew the owner. And she got me a job as a dishwasher. She let me stay at her mom's house. And that's how I started. And so what happened was as I'm working as a dishwasher, somebody after about two months presented me with a network marketing opportunity. And I remember watching the video. And it was like I had a big VCR. You young people don't know what I'm talking about. It's like a small boat. And you had this tape, you put it in, and it took as long to rewind as it did to watch. You know, you put your finger on it. All of you people are all like me. Remember? I remember. I remember. And I watched that thing 30 or 40 times. And listen to this. I was so like, really? You're telling me that there's a thing that I can leverage and, and I could create kind of wealth for myself? Are you serious? Here I am. I was earning $4 an hour as a dishwasher, I mean. Anyway, so I borrowed, imagine this, I borrowed $800 worth of clothes from a store and I still buy, the guy who owns the store, it's called Dale's Fashions, he lent me clothes because I thought I'm going for a job interview and I took a nine-hour bus ride back to Vancouver to go to this opportunity meeting. Ah. That's how how serious I took it and I went all in and I failed miserably because I didn't understand that this was a real profession. I didn't understand about relationships. There's so many things I didn't understand. Right. So I joined another company because I believed in it. And they had a three-day personal development program. And part of that program, they asked me to read Think and Grow Rich. And when I read that book by Napoleon Hill, I thought, really, if I change how I think, I can change how much I earn. And within seven months, I had my first $10,000 a month because I applied. First thing I did was got rid of the television. Every time I was in a hotel room, I'd ask them to remove it. I realized that I had to sacrifice. I had to give up something. There's a great saying that says there's no BV in TV. Yeah. <laughs> and I just started applying myself. And I've been around the profession now for, what, 40 years, 35 years. So Yes. Oh, my gosh. And continuing to instill this whole mindset with other people. I mean, I love what you said just about that direction with your mind. And, you know, if you, you have to believe it's possible. I think Think and Grow Rich is one of the first books I read when I first started, when my mentors had me read, but it's so true. Like, I think that a a lot of people in this industry struggle with, well, good for them. You know, like I, they did it, but, but they're lucky or the time isn't right or, it's too late for me, right? I know there were stories I told myself. I saw one corporate professional after another in my own network marketing company, scaling six figures and walking away from corporate America. And I thought, good for them, but it's not, I don't think I could do that, right? Like I, it was a story I was telling myself. It was all in my mindset. So it's so, so true. And then I saw you on stage and you totally changed my, like literally, one of your events, I'm going to tell you anyway. I know you want me to say this. I can tell you no, again. No, 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 tell me. I don't, look, if you don't tell them now, they're going to feel robbed. They're going to say, oh, <laughs> really that, you know? It was October. You were in Charlotte for one of our university in actions. And you were training. You were on stage. I was slightly had like a nice little start with my network marketing business. But I was like, I think I made like 40000 my first year, right? And Rick, by the way, everyone listening, that's amazing. That's our side hustle. $40,000 yeah. in your side business is amazing, right? Well, that's true. I guess so, right? But here I was like working full time 
and so burnt out and so miserable in my nine to five, but I had committed so much money and so much time to my degrees that my ego, first of all, kind of held me there, right? But it was your events and it was, it was the speakers you had on stage, but it was you casting this vision of this lifestyle that you had. I'll never forget you talking about being in your tub with this view over the mountains and like how gorgeous it was and just this like, and I just remember thinking you had brought enough people up on stage and you told your own story that I was like, there is nothing different between me and these people on stage, including David, except that I don't believe like it's all in my head. I, I have told myself I'm not capable. And so I haven't run with it. I've said good for them. But even though I had this, I've got this doctorate, I've got this master's, like I thought I almost didn't want to fail. It was ego. Like I was afraid to give it my all and then fall flat on my face and like not be successful. If that makes any sense. It was almost like it's so hard. I tell you what, it's harder for you. I mean, it's harder. Like I always say the hardest person to create financial freedom is like a doctor or a lawyer who has a big degree a big practice, a big house, a big car, and they're mm-hmm. over leveraged and they have no time. And to try and help them become financially free is so much harder than somebody who's broke because mm-hmm. when they're broke, they have little tiny expenses. So then we just teach them how to create income with a right. doctor. But so with you, you have multiple degrees. So, you know, you've invested already hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of mm-hmm. thousands of hours in going down a path. So mm-hmm. the courage to turn directions for you is probably harder than any decision because of the, expectations of your family, expectations of yourself, expectations of your lover. Everyone's like, oh yeah, she's going left. And you say, oh, guess what? I'm a network marketer. Right, right. I'm going to go right. Yeah. And it was so true, but it was, there was this moment in your event where I was like, instead of saying that they, that they are capable and I'm not, instead of idolizing them on stage, I had this moment where I was like, if I can go to school And in four years or in eight, well, four years, get an undergraduate degree and another four, get a master's and a doctorate and come out on top and be successful at that. Why the hell could I not go all in on this and be successful? What the only thing that's holding me back is between my ears and you were able to just truly cast a vision. What I realized was like, I am living a life of just this ho-hum life that was lackluster. And I was kind of like, it is what it is. And you were able to cast this vision of like, no, there's so much more for you out there. But only if you're willing to believe that it's out there for you, only if you're willing to take that leap and go for it. And I'll never forget leaving your event and be on the phone with my upline and saying, this is it. I'm all in. I'm doing this. And literally, and two and a half, three months, I went from a low, low hanging two star to crushing four star and hitting six figures and ultimately leaving corporate America. But it was all about mindset and it was all about belief. Yeah. Well, I just want to I want to give the person listening who doesn't have a degree and your drive and your experience just I just don't want you to get mixed up because some of you mm-hmm. are thinking I can hear it. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, so you have to be that clever and you have to be that driven to be successful in network marketing. That's not what Melissa just shared. What she was no. sharing was how hard it was for her because of all these things to make mm -hmm. the decision. You guys making the decision, it's equal. It does, don't, don't, don't start mixing this up and thinking, yes. oh, yeah, I need two degrees. No, 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 no. I left school at 15, zero degrees, you know? Right. <laughs> right? Yes. I, I walked through life thinking I was stupid most of my life. So we are the antithesis of like academic learning. I am at the very, very bottom. We're the She's complete at the opposites. Very, very and, and we now, both did it. <laughs> yeah, it was but what was between your ears. Right. And I think, and that's where I landed was because initially I thought, well, these people have something I don't. All these people who are hitting, you know, these these levels and being hugely successful and, and David included this life that, that I could only dream of. I told myself, well, you you have something I don't right? like you have this knowledge, this special gift that I don't. And so kind of back to your point, what really kind of talked me out of that negative self-talk was, no, you are just as capable as they are. You you have you have grinded it out in school and you've worked hard, just like they're working hard to, to have the life that they want. It's just the wrong vehicle. You're in the wrong spot, putting all your energy in this career that's that's not fueling you the, for the life you really want to live, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say there's three components, right? V right vehicle, right time, right you. Mm. And, you know, a lot of you, you know, you have the right timing, let's say. You could be in the wrong vehicle and maybe with the wrong mindset. Mm -hmm. But so for me, you know, network marketing is by far the greatest vehicle for the average person to create freedom and time mm -hmm. freedom. It's work though, network marketing. It doesn't say net sit on my ass marketing or net dabble marketing or net, right. Net, right. Right? <laughs> right. None of those things exist. Network is a work marketing. Right. So it's like a profession, like you treat it like a profession. It pays you like a professional. So, yeah. but then the right mindset, what I love about for me, what happened with network marketing is I was able to reprogram my poverty mindset my backpacking mindset. I mean, remember, I, I didn't have a car for 10 years. I didn't have any possessions for 10 years. So, I mean, I lived in this kind of, you know, <laughs> I mean, I had everything. I had the adventure. I had the, you know, this wonderful storyboard, but I still, you know, was w working for minimum wage most of the time, right? So again, right vehicle, right time, right you. And that's what I love about a great network marketing company and, and yours particularly, because I do, you know, I'm part of it. We're biased. Uh, right? Yeah. But is the focus on growing people. And there's a great saying that says, my wealth can only grow to the extent I grow myself. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the results in your life, you look into your bank account, take your shirt off and stand in front of the mirror and look at yourself. Do you love what you see? Do you dislike what you see? Is it a joyous experience? If not, then that's a result. Result is I'm chubby. Result is I'm soggy. My bank account's <laughs> empty. My credit card, those are all results. And they're giving you feedback to tell you what you're doing. So if I look at my credit card and it's maxed out and I'm paying, you know, and I'm always behind the eight ball, that's the result. I'm saying, well, do I want that result? So what do I have to change? What do I have to change? And this is where I'm going to get back to my story. I said, accidentally, I did something, which I didn't tell you what it was. I accidentally left England. I accidentally left all the influences that I knew, which was drinking, alcohol, minimal thinking, living, you know, in a council estate, just no dreaming, all of that stuff I left. And so environment plays such a significant thing, right? So environment is stronger than willpower. And that's why network marketing companies, especially yours, is so powerful because the environment itself 
is most of what you need is a strong environment, an environment that's going to, you know, allow you to dream, an environment that's going to hold you accountable, an environment that's going to sparkle your charisma, an environment that expects you to grow, that encourages you to grow, that kind of environment. But because there's a formula, which I call the, the process of manifestation, our thoughts lead to our feelings, lead to our actions, lead to our results. So when you look at that mirror and you're feeling chubby, let's go back. What actions are you taking to get chubby? Well, typically you're not exercising. You're eating badly. You have some very, very poor habits to get chubby. Chubby is something you do. You're doing it to you. It's not the environment. Right. Oh, fast food. Well, you drive up. I don't eat fast food, but if you do, great. But then you're going to be chubby and then you're going to feel shitty. And if you feel right. shitty, what's your bank account going to look like? It's going to be shitty with it because shitty right. feelings. So watch this. Go backwards. Results. Actions. How am I feeling? Well, when you're feeling shitty, guess what kind of actions you take? Shitty actions get shitty results. And the where do the feelings come from? Our thoughts. So our thoughts lead to our feelings, lead to our actions, lead to our results. But where do our thoughts come from? This is the big thing. Environment. Environment is stronger than willpower. So our environment leads to how we think, leads to how we feel, leads to the actions we're willing to take, which leads to the results. So what I love to do is look at my results and say to myself, do I love these results? Well, if I don't, let's go back to the environment, look at the environment I'm in, look at how I'm thinking, look at how I'm feeling, look at the actions I'm taking, and then take full and 100% responsibility for the results because there's a great saying which I love. When I take 100% responsibility for everything in my life and everything not in my life, so I'm going to say that again, when I take 100% responsibility for everything in my life and everything not in my life, there's no one left to blame. So then this is the formula that I live by. Oh my gosh. So, so many nuggets there. And it's so true. It's interesting. I have kind of a similar mantra and that is that our our thoughts become our words and our words become our actions, right? And I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It's such good stuff. And I love it. It is. It's true. We were talking about this earlier today that, and I'm glad you actually hit on this, but like our, our body, our, our body is our vessel for performance, right? And how you treat your body, how you nourish your body has a huge impact on how you show up in your business, in your relationships, right? And it starts with the level of respect for yourself, right? Oh my gosh. I love it. So, okay. And so, by the way, by the way, some of you, just to get your head out of your, you know, where it's at, if it's in there, your results will tell you if it's in there. If your head's up, your bum, you know, so, but, but I don't know what kind of show this is, whether I can swear. You're fine. So, you're, yes. All right. But, you know, don't mix this up that, you know, it's this thing. Give me heat, then I'll give you wood. No, 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 no. You give me wood and then I'll give you heat. So if you want it to change, don't think, well, you don't understand. I got a shitty job. Really? Well, great. Guess why? Because you got a shitty attitude. So, you know, <laughs> so the idea would be if you want to have more, give more, yeah. become more. Don't think you have to have the money before you can change your body. Change your body and you'll get the money. You'll get more because you're going to feel better. You're going to feel like you're winning. Mm. So don't, uh, some of you are, again, you fall into the victim trap, you know, and I would say the, the three words that you want to, or three, one of the challenges I love to give all my students is try it 90 days with no complaining, no justifying, no whining, right? So no justifying, complaining, no whining whatsoever, right? And that is such a powerful thing because justification is like, you know, my son did that yesterday. He was late to the gym. Not, he wasn't late, late. He was late for his warm up. 
the gym wasn't until, you know, because we work out together two days a week and he works three days alone. But I said to him, I said, Cal, you know, better if we get here early so we can do a proper warm up. He's like, yeah, dad, you know, I just kind of, is the alarm, you know, I missed the alarm. And I, and I just, all I said to him was, I said, Cal, what if next time you say, yeah, it's great. Awesome. My bad. Don't tell me the reason. Don't make right. the alarm the excuse. I said, because so you true. don't need an excuse. Just say, hey, yeah, you know what? Said, yeah, you know what? I do feel better when I have a bigger warm up. Don't worry, dad. Next, I'll do my best next time. I'll do, I'll do my absolute best next time to be here earlier because it is better for us both to work out or to warm up properly before we, versus, no, you don't understand. Yeah. Right? Oh, the traffic. Really? What's it? The traffic. The, traffic, the traffic's right? the same every freaking day. Just get up earlier, leave earlier, and don't get, don't blame the traffic. Oh, so no blaming, no complaining, no justifying. Those are the three. No blaming, yes. no justifying, no complaining. Oh, so you guys, are you getting that? No, write that down. I'm, I might try to practice that for, you said 90 <laughs> days? You know, I've got a great story. You know, uh, the leader of our company, Kathy, all right, she, one time I had a call with her, and this is a great example because I still have this, sh I have crazy thoughts still. It's not like I've, I've ma I have mastered my mind, but my mind still does tricky things all the time. I hear lies in my head, even though I speak the truth. My brain often looks for the lies to tell to justify something. So I missed a call with Kathy. Who, by the way, is like the owner of the company. Yeah. Right? So she's a, you know, a very wealthy, very successful person. And I heard my brain looking for a reason to tell her an excuse. Like, oh, yeah, you know, the kids. Because if you said to Kathy, oh, yeah, you know, I had a problem with my son. She'd be, oh, don't worry. Like, and I can hear it's it. So and I hold myself to a much higher standard than that. And so we got on the phone and said, guess what? She said, what? I said, I completely forgot. <laughs> and she <laughs> laughed and I laughed and it was done. Energy gone. <laughs> I absolutely held my integrity. She knew the absolute truth. She knows she can trust me to tell the truth. Boom. Our relationship moves to a high level, right? <sighs> That's so good. Just staying with the truth, being in the truth. Oh, this is, I, I love this. Okay. One of the things we talked about before we popped on here was fear, right? Because my whole purpose and mission with this podcast, Burnout to All Out, is to really encourage more people to breathe through fear and lean on faith and take that leap, right? You know, you were telling me, it's funny, you just did a post with your son about fear. I actually just did one about with my son about fear the other day too. Talk to us a little bit about your, your right. challenge. Okay, I saw Ita and Katie, everyone's commenting now. Thank you, everyone. I'm, I, I am seeing it. I'm, I'm trying to stay focused, but I am like a little bit <laughs> okay. of a squirrel over here. Right, okay. so today I posted on my Instagram account and you'll see the video. And this video isn't of my son. It's of me bungee jumping. Oh, because okay. what, what we did, I will post Ben. I have posted him before. If you scroll down, you'll find pictures of him doing it. When Ben left school at 17, we did a nine country tour together. Kind of, it was just like, you know, like a little walkabout, nine countries. We end up in Australia or New Zealand. Yeah. So in New Zealand, I said to him, I said, let's do a fear week, adrenaline week. What is he? He said, what do you mean? I said, Let's do something every single day that scares the crap out of you. <laughs> He's like, well, okay, why is that? <laughs> and I said, well, look, because I want you to know three things. I want you to understand what fear is. I want you to understand how fear feels. I want you to understand is how you process fear. I want you to understand is what happens when you break through fear. And I want you to understand is how to move the adrenaline week, the fear week into your real life. So He's like all in. So the first day we went bungee jumping at the Wanara Falls, I think is the, the original bungee site. 
And so we jumped in and it's, there's some beautiful photographs of us jumping together. It was, it was fabulous, right? We did skydiving at 15,000 feet. We did two bungee jumps. One of them, the one that I had the video on today, you have to go look at it and you'll see how high it is. It's the third highest bungee site in the world. Now, so when did four, you do this again? The, well, he's 20 now. So this will be three years ago, right? Okay, when he okay. first left yeah. school. But I mean, I do this stuff. I, it, well, if you look at the whole story, so we do fear week. And but the Nevis bungee jump for him was the scariest thing because you have to it's a little tiny box. Watch the video, a little tiny box suspended between two mountaintops. And you have to take like a little trolley cart out. It scared him on the trolley cart. It's like you are up there, third highest bungee site in the world. We're talking about 440 feet off the ground into rocks on the bottom. Right. And he was like, this was this was freaking him out anyway. So we go up there. And I was watching it. I could tell his body language, right? He was just like contorted. He gets out on the ledge and you'll see, but again, if you watch the video, you'll see, because there's a camera right above. You'll see how it looks when you're standing on that ledge. And normally they go three, two, one, bungee. And they go three, two. And you could see him all hunched over, right? And, and he gets this bungee and he looks around. And he says, can we start from 10? <laughs> right? So he's standing there. And he, he, he's like now having to process fear at the highest level because he's already gone past the jump time. And now he's having to fight with the fear. And he's standing out there on this edge, which is hardest, the hardest place to fight fear is on the edge of it because you're in it, right? So he's kind of like, and, and he's, you could see it. Boom, boom, and suddenly he claps his hands and he jumps and he jumps and you can see how, how tense he is. You, if you combine it, if you watch our two jumps side by side, you'll see that he's like tense, right? Anyway, pull him up. I jump. And then what happened was the camera was broken. So they offered me a free jump. Cause I mean, you know, this is 2021. If you haven't got a photograph of it, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Yeah. So I'm like, screw that. So they gave me a free jump. So I had to come back the next day. And I said to Ben, I said, do you want to come out with me? He said, when he came out on the trolley cart again, and he's just sitting up there again, he said, dad, I was as scared when you jump in as I was with me jumping. Right. <laughs> Anyway, so the next day we did a 15,000 foot uh, skydive. By this time, he started to learn what fear was and what, what he was doing. And then he looked at me, he said, how come you're never scared? And I said, well, Ben, it's not that I'm not scared. It's just that I don't, I don't behave. I said, if you understand the definition of the word fear, it's the anticipation of pain, the anticipation mm -hmm. of pain. And the word anticipation, I said, is it a past word? Is it a present word or is it a future word? He said, well, it's a future word. I said, exactly. So fear exists where? He said, well, in the future. So I said, what do I have to do then to experience fear? He said, well, you have to go into the future. I said, yeah, but what do I have to focus on to get really scared? He said, the worst result. So I said, so what you're doing and what I'm doing, what I'm doing when I'm on the bus, I'm talking to the people around me. I'm enjoying the views. When I get off the bus, the person that's putting me in a harness, I'm chatting to them. I'm finding out their story. When I'm on that little trolley cart, I'm looking at the beautiful mountains. And when I get into the, the, the cart there, I'm kind of, I'm enjoying the music. I'm watching the people. I'm appreciating it. By the time I get to the edge of the bungee site, I haven't thought about the jump. I'm thinking, I'm enjoying it. And then when I'm right on the edge there, guess what? All I got to do is jump because I haven't spent the last 45 minutes scaring the crap out of myself. By People say, well, I'm scared of flying. And I'm a pilot. I said, no, you're not. You're scared of hitting the ground. You're not scared of flying. I mean, oh my you're gosh, scared so of crashing, right? Okay, right. that's what we should do. We should tell the truth. So here's the, here's the beauty of the story. 
So then we do the adrenaline week and we do jet boating. We do, I mean, so many beautiful things. So many, and our friendship, I mean, we are best friends. And Aww. to have that with your son, I mean, he's 20. But what happened was when we left New Zealand, we ended up doing an event together in Vanuatu. And then I looked at him, I said, so what are you going to do? He said, and he's left school now, right? And I said, you don't have to go home. I said, why don't you just go do something? Why don't you use that new muscle you have and go do something? So you know what he did? He traveled alone. He hitchhiked across Japan and he couch surfed across China alone. So he took the experience on the bungee platform and then brought it into a real life situation where he continued to face the unknown. Because remember, fear of the unknown is one of those great fears that most of us have. If each one of you right now, if I said with certainty, every single person you spoke to would say yes. Every single person here would speak to every single person in front of them. But because of you're scared, they're going to say, no, most of you don't ask or don't because you're so afraid of two little letters and all right currently. So when we get back from his trip, he's home for just a week and he moves to Vancouver alone. Now, remember, he's only 17 at the time. So yeah. now he lived in Vancouver recently. Now he lives in Montreal and he just moved there during COVID. My youngest son moves to Montreal, gets an apartment. And so what I'm saying is that I wanted that experience of breaking through fear to start to show up in his behaviors and choices because mm. I remember how scared I was being alone in Tunisia and here's this little monkey buggering off around and just like arriving in Montreal where they said oh listen it's COVID you'll never get work you won't find an apartment he finds an apartment and I challenged him I don't help my kids financially a lot I said Benny I said, if you can get work in the first seven days, I'll pay three months of rent because I know what that takes. You can either sit there and, oh, there's no jobs, or you can bust your ass and find work. He, right. he had a job in 24 hours, and now he has two jobs, right? So it's just what I – the philosophies that we speak about here, unless we see them in real life, they're just great philosophies. Yes. But what I love is watching people not only internalize it, but then how do I bring it to my world today? How, like you're listening right now, what's going to be different when you hang up? Yeah. When you feel that feeling of fear, and if we understand how the brain works, by the way, what goes on in the brain? And if you want me, do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, go for it. They're loving it. So yeah. Every, every time you cross the threshold of your comfort zone, so your mm -hmm. comfort zone, some of you, your comfort zones are really small, but your right. comfort zone. So it doesn't matter what area of your life, let's say it was public speaking, you had to go and do a, a talk in front of a thousand people. So if, if you're listening right now and you get some fear associated with speaking, just punch in number one into the chat so we know you're listening. Yeah, let us know. If, if, you, if, you're, if you're just getting any kind of fear associated with speaking, come on, just number one. Or if you have any fear associated with anything outside your comfort zone, it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it was flying or maybe it was bungee jumping. Let's say yeah. if, if you think about bungee jumping and you have any kind of fear, right? So what happens is when we get on the edge of our comfort zone, as soon as we step across it, thank you, Katie. As soon as we step across it, our body, there's a part of the brain called the psycho-cybernetic mechanism, and it secretes chemicals into your body, all right? So in, that, you, in other words, when you are on the edge of your comfort zone, you are being attacked with chemicals, and those chemicals in the body are being interpreted as fear, apprehension, doubt, and uncertainty, so what I know is whenever I get that feeling is I'm on the verge of growing. So mm -hmm. for me and for successful people like you, Melissa, you get scared too. But instead of stopping and retreating, you understand that this feeling that everyone gets, by the way, all of us get it. It's just some of us are so understanding of it that we get excited by it and it moves us forward. 
Yes. Where other people, they get to the edge of their comfort zone. They have this feeling, which is sometimes, you know, sweaty, shaking, heart pumping. All these different, mind is foggy. These are the normal behaviors. When we're being attacked by our own brain, psychocybernetic mechanism, then what do we do? Most of us freeze or retreat. We go back into the, the reptilian brain, which is survival, mm -hmm. fight or flight. And most of us run away from it. So success is the ability to understand that when we have the feeling of fear, that right behind it, right, which is what Benny experienced, right behind it is where the magic is. It's where the juice is. It's where the money is. It's where the success is. It's where the adventure lies. It's where the juice of life lies right behind it. But you got to go through it to get to yes. it. Right? Oh, my gosh. So many nuggets here. I want to unpack some of this. So, so good. I just love this whole experience. And I was recently reading a book that really actually talked about entrepreneurs being less risk adverse than your traditional corporate professional, right? Like you look at the, like the psychology of an entrepreneur who's like, they're willing to take risks. Like what is it about their ability to overcome that fear and take risks versus the calculated, like totally risk adverse conservative human and I, I want to expand upon this a little bit because I think that because you and I both, we have our, our home network marketing company that creates a phenomenal residual income. But one thing that I've, I've learned from that is that that experience, even with you on stage and coming home and making that decision and breathing through that fear and going for it and then realizing that you, I could succeed at something I was terrified of, right? Like what, where I'm going with this is what I love about the industry of network marketing is it, you can actually overcoming that fear and, you know, breathing through fear. And on the other side of that, that sheer excitement and that freedom that you create to me just was like, was like dropping the pet, like just a dip, dipping my toe in the water. Now on the back end of that with dabbling in the entrepreneurial space, right? So like just a year ago in October, I had the idea, like the idea of this whole LinkedIn Academy, right? And those little demons in my head were trying to tell me, nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to buy into it. Like, what if they don't like it? But because of my experience, like that, that pattern interrupt and that conditioning, because of that experience in network marketing, of taking that leap and breathing through that fear, I truly believe it gave me the that that experience and mental toughness to say no i'm going to do this i'm going to move forward and it's interesting because with each step with each iteration and growth of my business it's become less and less scary and a whole lot more fun right and i think it's that like step after step after step of just jumping through the fear and it almost yeah. becomes addictive it's like what can we do next well i think yeah i think it is i like the, the term addictive but i think what it is is it becomes your new normal because, you know, that's the thing is you have a normal understanding that that feeling. So some of you feel great when you eat chocolate and some of you feel great when you're sitting on your favorite chair watching a movie you like or, you know, the TV series. You think about that, why binge watching 
is so prevalent on Netflix and why YouTube is set up the way it is to get people to binge watch, right? Because they know that most people, they can pull them and lure them into an experience that is completely safe, doesn't do anything for them whatsoever except keeps them in one spot. But some of us get excited by the challenge, the experience, the, the you know, it's the, the, the wall. I mean, there's a great saying by Randy Pausch, and it said, you know, the walls are not, are not there to keep us out. The walls or obstacles are not there to keep us out. The walls or obstacles are there to see how badly we want it. Yes. Right? And, yes. and so, again, so we can become the kind of person that our, that feeling of comfort is being uncomfortable. Right? Yes. And so as opposed to, the, right, go on. Well, no, I was going to say, so you totally nailed it. And it's funny because I think you've totally nailed it is that now – it's not that the fear's not there. It's almost exhilarating and I'm okay with it. Like, because I know what the opportunity on the other side, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I like what you say about that. Just like you're used to it. It's your new normal, right? Yeah. Well, and, and it becomes something that, you know, like with my son, I mean, I, I probably had the same amount of fear in my body. I mean, I know what I was feeling when I stood on the edge. Again, when you go and watch the video, but you won't notice it. You're going to say, holy crap, he just walked to the edge and jumped. Wasn't he scared right. at all? That's what right. my son thought. But because I was processing and understand that I'm going to have this feeling when I stand on the edge of a bungee site, my brain still goes to the same doubts. I hope this thing doesn't <laughs> I can, But I choose not to allow that conversation to inhibit my movement because I know that in the action – I can, so for example, watch this. I can uh, be thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't pick up my phone. I can't pick up my phone. I can't pick up my phone. I can't pick up my phone, right? I can still do it and I can be thinking something. So that's what happens with a lot of people is their, their brain is tricking them. Remember, we can't trust our brain. The brain is not designed to be rich or happy. In fact, I just did a show yesterday with a woman that she is the founder of the Happiness Museum in London, England. And she's just talking about how happiness you know, and, and how we can't trust our brain because it, of the reptilian survival mechanism of the brain is that we actually have to have daily practices to rewire our brain to do what, to, to, to fight against what it's naturally going to do. And most of us are imprisoned by ourselves, by our limited thinking, not realizing we, we kind of trust or we, we, we start to trust our thoughts, yet our thoughts, unless they're truly positive, most of them are conditioning and most of them you shouldn't be trusting. So what I listen to in my body when it's positive and it pushes me forward, I listen. If there's mm. seeds of doubt or negativity or whatever, I don't listen to that because I realize that's conditioning. Yes. You watch a baby. You, you think back to when your son first started to talk. Your son didn't look in the mirror for the first few years of his life and say, I'm a loser. I hate myself. Yeah, a lot of a lot of adults look in the mirror and the first thing they do is I'm not good enough is the number one. And that's what this woman said uh, on my show, Victoria, yesterday. Her name's Victoria Johnson. But number one thing she said is that all around the world, the reason why she wants to have a happiness museum in every every city on Earth is because the number one thing they fight is I'm not good enough is the predominant thought pattern of most people. So if we can't trust our brains. It's great to start there to say, okay, which, what, what voice am I going to listen to? This yeah. doubtful one or this one over here who's like, come on, that, Dave, you can, come on, Dave, you got this. Right. right. So where do you think that doubtfulness, I mean, you talk about the reptilian brain, 
But where do you think uh, beyond that, that the doubtfulness begins to like creep in as adults? Because you're right. Like I look at my my eight year old and he thinks that he can be a professional football player, work for Lamborghini and you know be a fireman all at the same time. Right. So where does that whole conditioning and thought process start to happen? Well, modeling. If you if you look at it depends what country you're listening from. I'm not sure where you. Where does that shift in mindset that I'm capable it turn into I'm not okay. capable. Like, where does that conditioning start to happen? Right. Well, modeling, right? I mean, you think you watch, if you look at the average 15 year old, they've heard the word no 150,000 times. And they've heard the word yes in comparison, you know, 10% of that. Mm. Because even a mother, no, 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 no. You know, <laughs> it's all fear based. It's like, you know, only in this country, like you go to some countries, right? I mean, the happiest country I've ever been to is Vanuatu in the South Pacific. And, you know, you go here in America, let's say, the fear of raising a child, they put these special sockets on the electrical outlets and little things on drawers and, you know, guards around everything. It's like, well, how the hell is this kid going to learn? And gates on the stairs. You go to third world countries, these little kids are are riding on the back of a truck, holding on by one hand, you know, (laughs) bumping over this little thing, right? You know? It's like we instill fear into our children. So when our kids, there is not a kid alive that if they weren't exposed to fear, that would be scared, right? Mm-hmm. They just wouldn't be. So modeling is, and I would say that with Ben and I on that adrenaline week, if, had I been scared, we may not have got to day three. Right, <laughs> right. right. If I had been right? he would be like, oh my God, if dad's that scared, I'm not, I'm terrified. If I'm like, right. hey, come on. And I kept saying to Ben, I think the most dangerous thing we'll ever do on this trip is drive in a car. Yeah, mm-hmm. each one of you will drive in a car all day long. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. You look at statistics about, you know, accidents and death by vehicles, and yet right. everyone does it. Why? Because right. you can, and you're doing it with one hand, you're on your phone, Texting. you're drying right. your hair, you're cooking eggs in the back, right? <laughs> but yet I ask you to go and do something that's a little outside your comfort. Oh, no, that's so dangerous. <laughs> yet I'll drive a car through a busy street at 100 miles an hour. Are you kidding me? So modeling is the number one thing. So that's why we have to be careful what we're modeling, who we're listening to, right? You know, I mean, if, if, if your best friend comes up and puts a little tiny piece of arsenic in your tea, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Right. Yeah. And that's what happens. Sometimes our best friend will put that little seed of doubt into your mind. They don't mean to. They're just trying to protect you. You know, right. you say, like, imagine, Melissa, we go back. Melissa says, I am going to launch an academy and a best friend goes, you know what? I don't think people are wrong. You know, it's COVID. People are going to be so broke. They won't have money to pay for your account. Right. No one cares about LinkedIn. Imagine all the things she could have heard and she can right. make a decision. You're right. And I certainly had people who didn't believe it was possible. I, hey, God love him. I love my husband. He thought I was off my rocker when I started to launch it. But <laughs> luckily, I invested in a business coach and I'm in a mastermind and surrounded myself with 18 other women who had great ideas and I saw them scaling and growing these incredible businesses and making massive impact. And so instead of choosing to listen to the naysayers, I chose to submerge myself with people who were, you know, a whole nother, like, you know, when we talk about an elevator, they were like four stories higher than I was like on that rocket ship, you know, moving upwards. And that gave me confidence that of where I was headed right and like the support and the lifting up and and it's yeah and you know with that with the mastermind approach you get experience because you know there's a great saying that says experience is something you get just after you need it and with a lot of people they'll try something and fail and Mm -hmm. and then they'll stop 
And for me, it's a question of let's try that. Well, if it doesn't work, let's make the adjustment. Let's try it again. Make the adjustment. And if we keep making the adjustment, because feedback is such a cool thing. So if we're doing something, it's not working. Let's do it. Let's see. Did it work? Do we get the results? We're going to go back to the results. Come back. Let's make a tweak. Da 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 da. But a lot of people will say, oh, I, you know, that's what like with uh, with network marketing. It's the highest paid profession on the planet Earth, and we have the coolest and kindest and most generous, wonderful people like yourself. And, and, and get most people come in, they dabble, they're half-assed, they don't ever learn the skills, and they say, oh, it doesn't work. Really? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Of course it works. It works. Right. You're not, you haven't ever treated it like a business, and you've never gone to school to learn and become a professional network marketer. So let's go back to your you know, job that you're not loving and get paid just enough so you won't quit, and you'll work just hard enough so they won't fire you, and you'll be miserable. Or you go in and you say, guess what? I'm going to approach this like Melissa did. I'm going to surround myself with successful people. I'm going to listen and model what they say, and I'm going to keep constantly, even 1% improvement every day that's my big philosophy one percent better every single day that's why i try in the gym i just go to the gym i just want to get one percent stronger just a little tiny bit and i can see the results you know and it drives me right oh so true i do the same thing i do a lot of orange theory and so it's very numbers based so i know when i get there i'm like i'm gonna increase by this this one little increment like every week i don't do it every day but every week so good okay so this has been so good, David, so informative. I know people have loved this and I know you've lit a fire under a lot of people's fannies and you've brought just humor and inspiration. Where can folks find you? Well, David T.S. Wood, Instagram, David T.S. Wood on Facebook. I have a channel and breaking into YouTube is a tough little nut. They say, you know, you kind of want to put some time in. But, you know, I, I put two shows a week on there where I bring in guests. I do a lot of little solo shows when I'm driving to the gym. And I have the, I just did one yesterday. It's not posted yet. So I'm haters. I had this whole thing about haters. It's like, and I do, I have philosophies. And I never, I promise you, I never, ever launch a show about something I've read. It's how I live. It's a lesson I've learned. It's something that I'm applying that works. So that's kind of how I do it. So you did a YouTube video on the way to the gym. How do you do that? Are you like holding your phone and driving and no, talking? No, I, just, I, I put my camera on the dashboard and I just push play. I do it all the time. I mean, a lot of people, it's so funny. I have two, maybe Kathy even listens, Kathy Bryden. She, she's like, David, she says, I love you so much. And please, can you not record and drive. And I'm thinking, geez, I talk to people all the time when I'm driving. I have people in the car, I'm chatting away. So I just like chatting to a person. So and I'll drive to the golf course and I invariably it's my favorite time to record because I don't know what I'm gonna talk about until I push record. I don't have ah. a plan typically. Put the camera there and I'll just push play and see what comes out. And typically it's something that's on my mind. Like the yeah. word haters came up and I have this whole philosophy. Don't get me started. Like there's no such thing as a hater. But anyway, you have to listen to the show to find out about that. I love that. So you guys have to go find David on his YouTube channel. I actually, I, I was on there the other day. So I've been on your channel. It's you're awesome. On there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, your show is like rock. I mean, it's beautiful. And you know, it's just, it's only been there for a week, I think maybe five yeah. days. So yeah. yeah, it's doing great. But what uh, I love about it is we should do this again. We should have conversations more often. This is great. I know. It's been so fun. I want to wrap up and just say that you truly created a pivotal moment for me. You're incredibly talented at lit just kind of just kind of shaking people and and like shaking that mindset and it's almost like a pattern interrupt. You you just you turned me into a different person when I walked out of that event and kind of created a domino effect. That domino effect, that one decision created a domino of decisions 
that landed me where I am today, where I am here today. So you have found your calling. You obviously love what you do. And you're just a, just a beautiful, incredible human being. So thank you for- I love, I love just sorry, I know you're gonna end this, but I love the fact that I was running because I had a few things going on. My son's looking at his first house today and I have a, I'm going flying. I, I fly float planes here. And I was running around and I thought, and I ran to the, the computer and I never used your system. And I'm like, and I never want to be late for anything. And I love the fact that with, with really just arriving in this moment and the, the depth of our conversation and how, how light and full and, and, and tingly I feel because of great, great conversations are so beautiful. So thank you. And thank you for, this has been a highlight of my day so far. So thanks. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, David. You guys go find him on media and check him out. At, yeah. Check him out on YouTube. Thanks for listening to the burnout to all out podcast. For free resources, materials, or information on my coaching services, go ahead over to livethefreelife.co. That's livethefreelife.co. Or check out our Facebook community at Burnout to All Out. And make sure you follow Burnout to All Out on Spotify and subscribe to iTunes. And it would truly mean the world to me if you paused for just a second gave me that five-star review of the show and be sure to share this episode with any burnouts you think would be inspired to go all out after hearing this episode. 